Would you look with us tonight to Job chapter 32, please? The book of Job chapter number 32. We'll read the chapter and then we'll work our way back through it and deal with each division uh, of this chapter very briefly. But we've given the chapter some, uh, some four divisions. We speak under four headings. Elihu begins his speech in the book of Job. As we move into this 32nd chapter, Elihu's a young man. We learn this from this chapter. He's introduced in this chapter. Elihu is angered in this chapter. Elihu has shown restraint in this chapter. And then he begins his speech in this chapter. Let's read Job 32. Then we'll come back through these verses. Job 32, beginning in verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite. You remember we were introduced in the book of Job. I picked it, Chris Wilbur. I pronounced this word Buzite. It's actually pronounced Buzite. And I have a Bible app that helps me with that. But I chuckled about what I said, picking at Brother Chris that night. But um, again, verse 2 says, Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled, because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled, because they had found no answer, and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken, because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young, and ye are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid, and durst not show uh, you mine opinion. I said, Days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth him understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore I said, hearken to me, I also will show mine opinion. Behold, I waited for your words, I gave ear to your reasons, whilst that ye searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job, or that answered his words." Lest you should say, we have found out wisdom. God thrusteth him down, not man. Now he hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches. They were amazed. They answered no more. They left off speaking. When I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more, I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show mine opinion. For I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person, neither let me give flattering titles unto man, for I know not to give flattering titles. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. Elihu begins his speech. Let me take us through in two minutes, bring us up to where we are. We've traveled through the first two chapters of the book of Job. You'll remember we witnessed the great loss and grief and pain 
the hurt that Job had suffered in the various waves of trial that come his way in the first two chapters. The last three verses of chapter number two, we were introduced to Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. In Job three, we had Job's great lament. You remember, he lamented in four areas. He cursed the day of his birth. He questioned why he even still existed. Um, He felt like death was the answer to his problem. And he asked a question that only God can answer, and that question is why. Job 3 is the why chapter of the Bible. This prompted Job's three friends that we've been listening to. uh, They and Job go back and forth now, uh, really since chapter 4 all the way up through chapter number 31, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. You'll remember Eliphaz offers three speeches. They're the longest speeches that are given of the three in each round. Bildad offered three speeches, and Zophar offered two. And after we heard him, the two times we heard him, we're thankful he only offered two speeches. Job either rebuts him or responds to them, each one, as they close their speeches. Tonight, we meet Elihu. He's younger than Job. He's younger than Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. He has waited to offer any comment until now. So now as we meet this young man, Job still sits in the ash heap. The other three men are still gathered around. And evidently, Elihu has listened to all this rhetoric, all of this back and forth, all these accusations that have been hurled against Job, all of Job's uh, responses uh, to these men, Elihu has been here for it all. Uh, Really, in chapter number 32, Elihu says throughout the chapter, I have something to say. Um, And what he has to say is going to cover six chapters of the Bible. Uh, Sometimes we say that one uh, portion of the Word of God is more important than the other, but all of it is important because it's the Word of God. God does give this young man six chapters In all of Scripture, isn't that amazing? He's the youngest of those that have gathered around the ash heap. And again, his speech will cover six chapters. We're only concerned with chapter number 32 tonight. Notice with me in verses 1 and 2, the first portion of verse 2. In verse number 1 and 2, Elihu is introduced. Verse number 1, So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Now, The three friends of Job have left off uh, speaking at this point. We note that in verse number one. It must have been a relief for Job, right? You remember, and I may not do this again, so this may be the last time we refer back to some of Job's sarcasm through it all. You remember that Job answered Zophar in chapter number 12 after Zophar left off speaking. The Bible says in Job 12, verses 1 and 2, And Job answered and said, But no doubt ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. And then in chapter number 16, his sarcasm came out on him again. As he says to all three of his friends, then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. And somebody has said, said many times with friends like these, who needs enemies, right? And they are miserable comforters. They've tried to get Job. They've goaded him time and again. They've accused him over and again. They've tried to get him to confess sin when there was no gross sin in his life. 
So it must have been a relief for Job that they have finally stopped talking. The reason they've stopped talking, according to chapter number 32 and verse number 1, is because he was righteous in his own eyes. You remember Job kept defending himself. And uh, at times that Job gets some things wrong, a lot of times he's right. A lot of times his friends are wrong, sometimes they're right though. Especially when they magnify the character of God. Elihu is introduced in verses 1 and 2. In verse 1, the three friends of Job have stopped speaking at this point. Verse number 2, now Elihu steps forward. Verse number 2, then was kindled the, the wrath of Elihu, the son of Berkel, the Buzite of the kindred of Ram. Now here is, is um, Elihu as he steps forward. He's introduced. This is his identification card. Now, we have a number of... Um, uh, uh, highway patrolmen that set up and, and have roadblocks in the Troy community these days. We're all happy about that in Troy. It seems to be disturbing the, the drug houses we've got down there. We're real happy about that in Troy. But if you come through the, if you come through the roadblock, you've got to show your driver's license, your proof of identification, I'm sure proof of insurance, just like you would any other place. When you read this little bit of criteria about Elihu, this is his identification card. This is his tribe. This is his family. This is where he came from. This is how he's grown up under the influence of his people. So very briefly, Elihu is introduced here. Verses 2 through 5, Elihu is angered. Now you're going to find that he's angered at Job, and you're going to find that he's also angered at Job's three friends. Look if you will. He's angered with Job. Look at verse number 2. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Berkel, the Buzite, the kindred of Ram. Why is he kindled? Why is the wrath of Elihu kindled? Well, the Bible says against Job was his wrath kindled because he, was, because he justified himself rather than God. Now, I'll tell you what he's going to do. Even over in chapter number 33 and verses 8 through 11, he's going to quote Job to his face. He's going to give Job Job's words. He's not going to say, this is a cold accusation I make against you, Job. These are your own words. Your own words will indict you. Look at chapter 33, verses 8 through 11. He says, surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words saying. He said, Job, you said this. He said, I quote you, you said this, verse 9. I am clean without transgression, I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasions against me, he counteth me for his enemy. He's charging God here. That's what he's saying. He said, Job, that's what you're saying. He putteth my feet in the stocks, he marketh all my past. And he's saying, he's saying, Job, that's not right. You were wrong in this. Matter of fact, he calls him out in verse 12 of chapter 33. He said, Behold, in this thou art not just. In other words, you're not right, Job, about this. I'm angry at you, Job, because you've responded this way, he's saying. Verse 12 of chapter 33, Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. And here's the thing about it. To blame God and justify yourself, that's hypocrisy. And that will never fly in the face of Scripture. God's right. God would do right. Will not the God of Israel do right? Not the God of heaven do right? Was that not Abraham's plea when he was asking God to spare the righteous in Sodom? Why, sure he'll do right. He'll always do, wrong, uh, do right. 
But Job's attitude and his outlook about it all, it's not right. It's not right to make ourselves righteous and God unrighteous, to set ourselves free and to blame God, try to hold him captive. Of course, you cannot hold him captive and neither can I. But it's a wrong attitude. It's a wrong attitude. And he calls Job out on it. Elihu, in chapter 32, he's angered with Job. Notice with me in verses 3, 4, and 5, he's also angered with Job's three friends, Job 32. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because he had found no answer. Excuse me, because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. He's angered with these three friends. We have followed this, again, this back and forth now for some time. He's angry with his three friends because they were wrong to accuse Job. He's angry with Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar because they had no evidence for their charges against him. He's angry at them. He's mad at them because they could not answer Job's reasoning. You remember where they said, Job, only a sinner would suffer like this. He said, look about in nature. Look at what takes place around us with the birds and the the fish and, and the beast of the field. He said, your, your, your logic does not hold up. Uh, you condemn yourself and what you're saying. Through it all, with no evidence at all, they, they condemn Job still, and Elihu's angry about it. Elihu's angry. He's angry at Job's sinful reactions at times. Because our friends would behave unbecoming to a child of God, it does not give us the right to behave ourselves unbecoming to a child of God. It's a man that I used to pastor, and he got in a back and forth around Iuka. He got in a back and, back and forth. He knew better. He was better. And so we were talking. He brought, it, he brought up to my attention what he'd done. He'd done something somewhat publicly. And I said to him, I said, said, why'd you do that? Why'd you let him draw you in like that? And he said, well, I felt like when when he said what he did, it gave me the right to say what I did. I will tell you something. Just because somebody would provoke you or tempt you does not give you the right to speak your mind all the time. God never called us to be a doormat. I understand that. I do understand that. Sometimes when we've done everything else we're to do, we're still to stand, stand still. We're still to do that. But just because somebody else has lashed out at us does not give us a right to lash out. Well, he's angry about it. He's angry because Job knew better. He didn't have to respond like that. He's the greatest man of the East before these trials came. Um, He walked with God. He worshiped God. He eschewed evil. And now he's getting caught up in all this rhetoric. He's angry with these three friends. The text will give it away in just a moment. They were old enough to know better. They were old enough to know better, but they did not behave better. He's angry that Job's been misunderstood by his three friends. He's angry that trials have been misinterpreted uh, among these friends. He's angry that God has been misunderstood in it all. That ought to anger us, friend. God is never to be blamed for our trials, never to be blamed. Uh, 
for our trials. We shouldn't expect him to explain our trials either. Um, one of our um, adult yet younger members of our church recently, Amanda was texting with her, and uh, I love her response. She said, Miss Amanda, we know God has a plan for our lives, and we're okay. Now, I want to tell you something. That's big. Isn't that, isn't that something, that, isn't that something that, that people throw out there sometimes? Big if true. If God has a plan for your life, and the windows begin to rattle, and the limbs and leaves are shaking loose, my God, if you're convinced God has a plan for your life, you can charge hell with a gas can. I'm telling you, you can lay down and sleep at night. If you know God has got his eye on you and he has a plan for your life, and nothing the devil hurls at you comes to you, but God had to permit it to be so. You can lay down tonight. You can get up and go ahead tomorrow. Matter of fact, that'll build hope in you, child of God. Our faith is not some wishful thinking. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more we learn of God, the more we march on, even without explanations for what we face in life. Uh, one dear preacher's wife and daughter was in a pretty terrible car accident. Her wife and one of the sons, I believe it was. Pretty bad car accident. And while they walked through the, the emergency room doors, the father, the preacher, the pastor, he said to his own family, he said, uh, he said, this did not get past God. And don't you be angry at God. That'd help you. Some Carolinians would say, I'd hope you. I'd hope you. You do know you're not getting out of this life without some scratches and dents, don't you? Matter of fact, God's people are scratched and dented. All the way up, all the way to glory. Wasn't it Burr Rabbit that told Burr Fox? He called him, he said, don't throw me in the briar patch. Whatever you do, don't throw me in the briar patch. And he just stayed at him with that. Whatever you do, don't throw me in the briar patch. And then Briar Rabbit, or Briar Fox took Briar Rabbit and threw him in the briar patch. Briar Rabbit hollered back at him. He said, he said I was born in the briar patch. I'm going to tell you, that's the way it is with God's people. We live in the briar patch. It's not like Benny the hen would tell you. Or Smiling Joe from Houston. Uh, we do face trial and difficulty, friends. It's part of life. But we learn to trust our God through it all. Simply trust him. Elihu's angry about all this. He's angry about all this. Elihu, Elihu has shown restraint, verse, restraint, excuse me, Verses 6 through 9. Now, you'll notice Elihu's silence in verses 6 and 7. You notice these verses. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young, and you are very old. Ye is the plural of you. You know that in our King James. He said, you are very old. So he's talking to these men. Wherefore, I was afraid, and durst not show you mine opinion. He said, y'all are the elder, I'm the younger. That's why I've kept my... Mouth shut, my opinion to myself up to this point. Verse 7, I said, days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. So in verse number 6, he's saying you're all older uh, than me. And so that's why I've, I've not said anything. We understand the oriental custom would have been for centuries, 
for a millennial that uh, if the elder is speaking, the younger is to remain silent. I don't know that, that a good dose of that wouldn't help us in 2023. Just to respect our elders again. Two men are talking. Bow out. Let them talk. Two ladies are talking. Bow out. Let them talk. We've lost that in our society. Nowadays, kids back talk parents and do it publicly. Back talk school teachers. Disrespect law officers. Go into a courtroom and spout out profanities as though... They own the courtroom and run the show, and everybody owes them something. Elihu's a young man who respects these older men. And so uh, he says that uh, in verse number 7, they all should have been more wise than he. He says in verse number 7, I said, days should speak. And remember, he's angry at them. He said, I said, days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom be the equivalent of looking at three old men or four counting Job and saying with the, with the mileage and wear and tear on you guys, I just knew you knew better. I knew you could perceive it and diagnose it and troubleshoot this thing better than you have. Some, some have even tried to rebuke Elihu for speaking it all. I don't, I don't think we should rebuke him. Now, he won't get everything right. Job didn't get everything right. The three friends that have previously spoken, they didn't get everything right. But God did choose to include this in his word so that we could learn from it. Elihu's reasoning for speaking now is found in verses 8 and 9. In verse number 8, he states the source of wisdom, doesn't he? He says, but there is a spirit in man. In other words, there is an understanding in man. Watch what he says. And the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. God holds the keys to wisdom. God holds the keys to wisdom. That's his source in verse number number 8 when he says, And the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Then in verse number 9, Elihu rebukes these men for their lack of wisdom. Great men are not always wise, he says. Neither do the aged understand judgment. In other words, he's saying that wisdom is not the sole property of gray Headed men or ladies. It's not the sole property of the old. Um, Paul would say to Timothy, would write to Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, prove yourself. Be a good listener. Be a good speaker. Be good at what you do. Apply yourself. Solomon asked when ascending the throne in Israel for wisdom, and he asked for the best thing. God Added to that. Verses 10 to 22, the fourth uh, division to this chapter, Elihu begins his speech here. In verse number 10, he desires the attention of Job and his friends. Therefore I said, hearken to me, I also will show you mine opinion. In verses 11 through 13, he says, I've listened to you, I've listened to all of you, I want you to listen to me. Verses 11 to 13, behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons whilst you searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there is none of you that convinced Job. He said, you've been talking all this time. You hadn't convinced him of anything you're trying to convince him of. Or that answered his words. He waits for them to finish their speaking. They finish their speaking. 
He says, you've, you've not convinced Job of what you've tried to convince him of. You've not responded to his reasoning. Matter of fact, they hadn't convinced Job of anything. Only God can do that. Watch what he says in verse 13. Lest you should say, we have found out wisdom. He said, the guys are going to have to get, come down off your high horse. Watch what he says. He said, God thrusteth them down, not man. You can't convince him of anything. In his life, God does that. And only God does do that. Thrusteth him down, convinceth him of sin. And he does that. And by the way, he will do that. What um, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar tried to convince Job to do and tried to coax out of him in the bulk of the book of Job, God will get it out of him in the latter part. He will surely get it out of him. And I find, I don't know about you, but I find just a few moments in the presence of God that really cures all my ills. Sometimes it's God extending his mercy and grace to my life through your handshake or through a testimony or through an unusual stirring on a Sunday or Wednesday. Sometimes it's through the preached word where I've wrestled with it all the week. But God extends himself in such a way to convince me, to thrust me down. You talk a man into making a profession of faith, or you talk a man into confessing something, he'll rebound. He'll go right back where he's been. That's, that's, the, nature of, that's the nature of the flesh, right? But you let God talk a man into something. He'll remain convinced still. You ever seen no boy... His mama tried to get him to, to God early in life. He may have even made a profession of faith for two or three or seven. You let God get a hold to him. You can't bring brick bats to church and throw at him and keep him out of the house of God. You let God talk to him a little while. Let God crawl up in the bed with him at night. Let God sit down at the lunch table. Let God go stand beside him, if you will, while he is on the job. Job said, you can't do that. That's God's business. That's God's business. Verse number 14, he says to his friends, he says, you've not been the voice of reason in all this. Verse number 14, now he hath not directed his words against me. In other words, Job's not rebuked me. He's rebuked you men. I've been standing here. He had nothing to say to me. He said, neither will I answer him with your speeches. He said, what you had to say, I'm not going to repeat that. You've got nowhere with that. And so he proceeds. In verses 15 and 16, Job and his friends are amazed. They listen to Elihu. Verse number 15, his friends are amazed. And it's interesting. Of course, our Bibles were translated back many years ago. This word amazed, we think of it kind of like, ah, that's not what this word means. Of course, you, you've got concordances. You go home and look it up. The Bible says they were amazed. They answered no more. That's the three friends. They answered no more. They left off speaking. This word amazed means they were defeated. They gave up gave up couldn't convince job of anything they just give up verses 16 and 17 Elihu's waited for this time when i had waited for they spake not but stood still and answered no more i said i will answer also my part i also will show mine opinion and he does he does just that as he begins again he says throughout this chapter i have something i want to say just keeps repeating that verses 17 to 20 Elihu feels constrained to speak now he can't hold it in any longer. Watch it. 
will admit that. Verses 17 through 20. I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show mine opinion, for I am full of the matter. In other words, I'm full of words. You guys have given speech after speech after speech. Job has done the same. I have something I want to say now. The spirit within me constraineth me. He said, Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. In other words, it's fermenting. It's, it's, it's boiling, if you will. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. And it's obvious to him that, that not everybody has got this, the major points of emphasis right. Then lastly, in verses 21 and 22, as Elijah speaks, he shows no favoritism. Watch this. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person. In other words, I don't want to show favoritism. I don't want to um, gravitate to one of you, let up on one of you, whatever, and, uh, or cater to one side or the other. Neither let me give flattering titles unto man. He said, for I know not to give flattering titles. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. He had enough of the fear of God in him that he did not want to approach this the wrong way. Let me give you three or four or five very simple thoughts. I'm done almost. Verse number 14, look back if you will. Elihu said that now he hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches, and he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't come at Job the way these first three friends have come at Job. You remember what those three friends said? They said over and again. It almost became redundant, didn't it? It's repeated over and again in Scripture that Job... um, Suffering is punishment for sin. Elihu won't do that to him. Wouldn't it be something? Bury ten children, lose everything you got, sit down in a pile of ashes because you got sore boils from the top of your head, sole of your feet, taking a broke, broken piece of pottery and scraping, looking for just a few seconds relief from the pain and misery. Can find no relief anywhere. Then these three men come sit down and say that you must be. Um, you must be getting your just due, Job. Um, number two, suffering doesn't have to be, uh, as we mentioned, punishment. doesn't have to be penal, does it? It very well can be uh, preventative. We've got New Testament on that. 2 Corinthians 12. You will remember 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 Remember, Joe, uh, excuse me, Paul goes to the Lord once, twice, and then thrice. He said, This thorn in the flesh. That's where he needed the thorn, was in the flesh, because God's going to point out the weaknesses in his flesh. He said, This thorn's killing me. Would you remove the thorn? He went to him the first time. God said, No. Goes to him the second time. God said, No, I'm not removing it. Goes to him the third time. He said, no, I'm not removing the thorn. As a matter of fact, the thorn was a gift to him, wasn't it? He said, the thorn that was given me. You know why it was given? Paul was used extraordinarily of the Lord. He'd been caught up into the third heaven. Had God not allowed him to have that thorn in the flesh, his ego would have got the better of him. His flesh, he would have become prideful. God kept him where he needed to be. With the thorn in the flesh. As a matter of fact, Paul described it as a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. 
it may very well have been someone that kept showing up in his life. And he said, that, he said, I will glory, therefore, in mine infirmities. Because God would get the glory from his life. Paul had no idea he could have sinned against God. He had a fear in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27, of being put on the shelf, right? Wouldn't you hate to labor all your life and then get mixed up in some sin? And you'd have to set out the remaining years on the sideline. Couldn't even open Scripture and read it to anybody. Nobody would want to hear you. Can you imagine that? Paul feared that. Paul feared that, and God helped him with it. Suffering may be for discipline. I won't take the time to read it. You can read it tonight. You go and, and look, if you will, at uh, Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. It talks about the chastening hand of God. Chastening hurts, doesn't it? If it's done right, it hurts. Say amen right there. Sometimes somebody will say, God whipped me or God chastened me and go right on in their sin. I don't believe it for a minute. You remember in John chapter number 15, you remember the Lord was talking to his disciples about bearing fruit and abiding in him. And he has much to say to us along that line. As a matter of fact, he talked about fruit three times in verse 2 of that chapter. In verse 4 of that chapter once, verse 5 of that chapter, verse 8 in that chapter, verse 16 twice in that chapter. He says it may bring forth more fruit. And then he talks about much fruit, that you may bear much fruit. If you abide in the vine, if you abide in me. He said in verse number 2 of that chapter,